What's good, my universal people? This is Chris Cypher 73 Cabrera, the Universal Dialect Show. I've been gone for eight months. Uh, I just did a show not too long ago, probably last Tuesday. So I just wanted to give you a couple of updates before I drop the show. Um, the interview that I did initially, I was supposed to do it on Zoom, but the individual decided that they didn't like Zoom, so wanted to do it on Skype. So I had a couple of like technical issues. So that's the reason why I'm like creating like an extra like intro to like my normal intro. So before I get into the guests and everything, I just want to talk to you about a few things. Uh, first, I started a new uh, project. It's called My Paranormality. Most of you who are already subscribed and have clicked the notifications button already know that it exists and already looked at it. I appreciate all your support. Um, I dropped that first episode uh, Halloween. And the second one I'm working on right now, I'm trying to drop it by December 25th on Christmas. So if everything works out, I have a new episode up and running. And then y'all can dig deep into that, sink your teeth into that. Also, um, I wanted to direct people to the Etsy uh, store. I've had it for about two and a half, probably three years. Um, it's my fault. I haven't really been pushing it that much because I've been focusing on the podcast, but I'm trying to push it now. So somewhere in the middle of my, uh, you know, my interviews, somewhere in the middle, I'm going to drop, uh, you know, the, the few minutes of commercial that I that I just did. Again, if you're subscribed, you probably already saw the commercial, but I'm trying to direct traffic to that. Um, I'm just really just trying to get support because ultimately I don't want to work a regular nine to five. I feel like I'm really good at doing this interview stuff and this is what I'm I'm put out to do. So I'm trying to drive people to try to support as much as possible, get the numbers up. So if you haven't subscribed already and you just can't, you know, got a hold of this, please subscribe, share it with other people so that they can subscribe. And there's other ways that you can support. One is going to my Etsy store and picking up shirts, picking up hats, picking up sneakers. I mean, I got, Literally, I got everybody covered from head to toe, plus some other products. Got shirts like this all over print shirts. You have regular T-shirts. The prices aren't too expensive. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to get, you know, trying to get my game on, you know. So anyway, um, if you want, you head to the Etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Arise Creation 73. That's all one word and the number seven, three and the number three at the end. So that's a. Uh, Etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash rise creation 73 links will be in the description. Also, I have this, uh, this account called buy me a coffee. You're not really buying me a coffee. You're pretty much just donating whatever you could here and there. You could do it daily. You could do it weekly. You could do it monthly. You could do it yearly. Um, the link for that is buymeacoffee.com slash universal, the number seven and the number three at the end all together. All right. Um, this is just to support uh, content creators. OK, um, so let me do the introduction real quick into my uh, my interview that I'm just I'm going to drop right now. This is a uh, show number 35, I believe. Um, he's the host of the YouTube channel World Bigfoot Radio. Uh, the guest provides up to date news about the paranormal, including Bigfoot, other cryptids, alternate science and technology, conspiracies. And also he throws in some eclectic music. Um, I, kn I know him as the Grizzly Adams of the paranormal. So I'm going to introduce to you Duke Sullivan. So thank you for your time and enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Hope you're all having a good day, evening, night, middle of the night, whenever you're listening to this. And uh, everybody's doing good. Happy holidays. 
from uh, nice sunny Montana. All right, man. You're out there in the freezing cold, right? Yeah. Uh, well, it was sunny today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was just telling Chris a few six seconds ago. It's like, oh, it's 25 here right now. The sun's going down. I was talking to Kelly Shaw over in Utah earlier today from Rocky Mountain Sasquatch, and I said, "What's the weather over there?" Kelly goes, "It's really sunny." It's also windy and colder than crap. You know? <laughs> it's about the same weather we're getting. It looks nice until you walk outside and then you're like, oh, man, wait. Oh, really cold. But no snow, correct? No snow. No snow over here yet, no. When does it, when does it normally start hitting? Uh, about the middle of September. Uh, but there's no snow. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. This is a little peculiar because usually we've had winter for two months already. I got you, brother. I got you. So, Duke, uh, I've listened to you on so many different platforms and podcasts, um, but specifically uh, Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott, one of my favorite podcasts. Um, can we get into uh, your origin story and what led you down the path that you're currently on? Well, sure. You know, anybody wants to go over my channel can see uh, Wendigo sighting number one, which I recorded years ago when I was at the first Big Sky Bigfoot conference as the keynote speaker there. And uh, it's just a quick breakdown. I added some video in and stuff, too, about my original sighting, which at the time I still you know, had no idea what the hell it was. It was years of that because whatever it was that I saw did not conform to what a Bigfoot looks like, which confused me even more. I didn't see the Patterson-Gimlin film until after I had my first sighting, because my sighting was in 72, and yeah, the Patterson-Gimlin film had been around for a few years, but it wasn't like anybody had internet and they were seeing it there. Where are you going to see it at? You know, if they show it on some TV show, maybe, that would be it. Other than that, you wouldn't see it. So there had been no penetration in the culture whatsoever that there was such a thing as a Bigfoot or they could be out in the woods or anything like that. When I had my sighting, and then after I saw the Patterson-Gimlin film and compared them, I went, well, that's not what I saw. <laughs> that isn't helpful. Now there's two big weird things running around the woods that I don't know what the hell they are. That's not making things better. Um, so, yeah, that's where I got started. And the first encounter I had was, uh, you know, really pretty scary. I was only a 10-year-old kid. And it convinced me to not go in the woods for a few years. It took me quite a while to want to go back in the woods again and, and this wasn't like i was living in a town where i had options you know my nearest neighbor was quarter mile away so it was either you go out in the woods or you don't go out at all <laughs> so i i chose the don't go out at all option for a few years so where, where did this first encounter happen what's the northern minnesota about 15 miles north of duluth is where i grew up st louis county and at so that time there was no recognition that there was any you know bigfoot over there or anything now of course there's several bigfoot groups that are active in minnesota documenting all the stuff that's going on over there and never finding bigfoot were there once and you know so it's become apparent that yes they are in northern minnesota and w why is that a surprise you know minnesota land of 10,000 lakes the northern part of the state actually has 30,000 lakes it's all lakes if you fly over it with an airplane it's all these weird little lakes with little strips of land or swamp in between and some of these areas of woods in, up there are huge, and there's, like, no roads going into them because bog's in the way. Who's going to make a road across a bog so you get to a patch of woods that nobody has any damn reason to go to anyway? Well, they don't. So the only time those places get visited is in the middle of the winter when everything's frozen solid and people can drive around with snowmobiles. 
because then you can go across all these frozen lakes and swamps and stuff and get there. And that was what happened when uh, Jack Barnes and Jeff Anderson found the world's longest track line and documented it. You can still find it on YouTube. It was like 3,000 footprints. They were blazing a snowmobile trail, and they came across this track line in knee-deep snow and went, what in the hell left those footprints? <laughs> so they spent the rest of the day following them and filming them, and thankfully uh, for everybody, that's the longest documented Bigfoot trackway ever so far. And that was in northern Minnesota. It was right up by the border. And what they found by following its trackway is that it was going in a big loop. It was just going in a circle, apparently, around this huge area. So from that, you know, my guess is that it was a sentinel that was out just checking the range around the territory to make sure there weren't intruders, and he was going to go back home again. And they did some subsequent follow-ups up there and everything. You guys can find that on YouTube if you want. So, you know, it's become apparent over the years that, yes, there are Bigfoot there, but at the time that I had my first and second encounter, nobody thought, you know, you would have just got laughed at and ridiculed, so why even bother to tell anybody? I got you. So before we get into, because, okay, I didn't know you were to open up with the Wendigo sighting as your first, like, sort of like maybe paranormal encounter. So yeah. what was, what was well, your first? Well, that's what the video's titled. I didn't know what it was exactly. All I knew is that wasn't a Bigfoot, looked extremely carnivorous. Oh, okay. And, you know, this was uh, 50 years ago, the early winter this year. Uh, it would have been like second week in February, 50 years ago this year, is when I actually had this sighting. And I had no idea what the hell it was. And that's why I got interested in some of these other cryptids that aren't Bigfoot but look similar to them. So I could try and root out what the hell it was that I actually saw. And at this point, I've got it on a pretty good authority that what I saw was actually uh, young Janasqua. Uh, which are, of course, known to be in the far north. They're the Iroquois stone giants that had wars with their tribes and would come right into camp and pick them up and eat them. So, no, they're not friendly, and they will eat humans. So so are they connected to, are they like a different version of a Sasquatch? Like uh, As much as what we can figure out, they seem to be hybrids between the Sasquatch and the giants at some point because mm-hmm. they look a lot like Sasquatch, but they're way too big. They're like 15 to 30 feet. And uh, back in the olden days, he used to wear applique armor, which is where they got the name Stone Giants from, because they had the hair on them like Bigfoot. And when they wanted to put armor on, they just rubbed themselves against pitch and sap on trees and stuff like that, and it'd roll around and gravel, and it would stick to their hair. And after they do that two or three times, well, now they got a coat of armor on. It's rock armor. And right. if you try and shoot it with a, you know, a napped flint arrowhead, guess what happens? Bounces off. Bounces off, impervious. Now, interestingly, all the reports of them doing this stuff and wearing this armor all ceased right around the time the Iroquois Confederation made contact with the white men and got some of our nifty boomsticks. And when you got a 69 caliber musket with a huge powder load and a big old uh, ball <laughs> coming at you, guess what that stone armor does? doesn't do shit. It goes in anyway. So at that point, they decided, well, now the armor isn't working. And, uh, you know, from the... The legends that I hear, the only time they wear it anymore is if they're going to go fight with some other cryptids that have claws and fangs and stuff. And they don't want to get clawed up. But they're just generally so big, if they got a beef with some other cryptid, they could just step on it. I mean, <laughs> Duke, the way you rattle this information off, it's, it's almost like uh, like you're reading out of a book almost. I mean, it, just all the years of, uh, of experience and, and the knowledge that you've gotten from other people. Um, this, this creature that you saw... 
that you found out what they were. How come we don't hear that much about them? Because when I when I listen to podcasts, not many people talk about like the version that you're talking about. Yeah, well, because they don't know anything about it and they haven't done the research on it. I was the first person back in one of the early episodes of Sasquatch Chronicles that brought the fact to the public's attention that Janosqua and Gugwe are not Bigfoot. They are different cryptids, and they do exist. They're not imaginary. And since then, you know, people, especially the Gugwe, that's gone all over the place. You probably heard about that. Well, I was the one that got that started, and people started paying attention to it, and then people started noticing that there were actually reports of them, but the people that were seeing them didn't know what the hell they were looking at. They'd think it was a werewolf, or they'd think it was a Bigfoot, but there was something weird about its face, or there's something weird about its ears, and everybody just kind of went, well, they didn't get a good look at it, or whatever, for years, and then when you go back and start looking at some of these old reports, and going, okay, here's what a Gugwe's supposed to look like, what is this witness saying? That's a Gugwe, and they're always aggressive, they, you know, it's very rare that you get to see one and walk away from it, they're aggressive critters, um, there was one guy, actually the Beast of Seven Shoots is a good example of that. Somebody got a picture of one from a, a train trestle up in uh, Canada at a park by accident. They were just walking around taking nature pictures. And in one of them, he's standing up in the train trestle, this abandoned train train track, taking a picture down into this ravine. And down in the ravine, there's this thing standing there looking back up at him. And it's got something white under its arm. <clears throat> well, I talked to the forestry person up there in Canada that actually investigated that, and the only reason they investigated it is because something happened right before that picture got taken, about like uh, 15, 20 minutes before, this big weird-looking thing walked into some people's camp, grabbed their full-size white poodle, wrung its neck, and put it under its arm and walked back out again. That's why the forestry person was there investigating. Description of said critter that walked into camp, throttled their full-size dog and walked off with it for a, like a lunch bail was exactly the same as the picture. Mm. And you, you so, have this picture? Oh, it's all over the internet. Just go look up Beast of Seven Shoots. There's a zillion versions of it. Mm. So this, this go-gway creature or these creatures, are they only... Do they only inhabit a certain area of the United States, or are they worldwide, or are they... No, they're not. Uh, they're in limited areas in the U.S. They used to be in some areas that they don't exist in anymore. Uh, the uh, confederation over there with the, uh, the native tribes, the Iroquois, which isn't just one tribe, it's a lot of tribes in a big confederation, they all had description and names of things other than Bigfoot, which is where I clued into this in the first place, because every native tribe in North America has a name for Bigfoot. Some of them are weird words that aren't part of their language, that's what they call it which probably means they were communicating with them and they know what they called themselves. And other ones are descriptors, like where they call it a mountain devil or, you know, king of, king of the hills or something like that. That's a descriptor from their language. You know, it's a slang term for it. It's like when we call it Bigfoot. But, you know, <laughs> that's not what they call themselves. Um, there's At the same time, when you start looking at this and you see these, some tribes, like if they're talking about a monster, like, say, the Navajo, um, they had this big predatory giant that was terrorizing them and eating them every so often for a long time until finally the hero twins showed up and helped them kill this bastard. But he was named Yeitso. And they have, you know, like, that's his name. 
So if they say that, they're not talking about a Bigfoot. That is a name of a particular giant. On the East Coast, you got Moshop, which was involved in the Puckwoodgee legend. That is a name of a particular giant. Gaugau, which is supposed to be living on an island that was a carnivorous giant monster female and was as tall as the mast on a sailing ship. There's another one. It's an individual monster. It's not a whole species of them. But when you start getting all these tribes have not only got a name for Bigfoot, they also got one or two other names that sound like Bigfoot but aren't the same thing. And you can tell by the descriptors, like stone giants, that what the hell has that, that got to do with Bigfoot? And then the, the description of them physically and their behavior and everything is completely wrong for a Bigfoot, which are basically shy and retiring and like to stay the hell away from us. These things were like declaring war on the natives and eating them. And in the Gugwe, you've got names for that all across the continent. If you start looking closely, uh, even in northern Minnesota, they've got a very similar critter, which they call the Tugawe. And that's mm-hmm. like keeping in mind at least 1,500 miles away from where the Gugwe name came from, mm-hmm. which is the Mi'kmaq Confederation on the Upper East Coast. They've got this other critter, same description, almost identical name. Now, how in the hell does that happen? And then you look over in uh, Michigan, Lake Duojiak, the description uh, some of the witnesses have had, and even a really nice eyewitness drawing of the Dewey Lake monster matches the description. Recently, one of my friends that's been on my show several times got a really good picture of one of them down in uh, the Deep South. He's just sticking his head out of a bush in this shady spot watching her. And she snapped a picture and drove away as quick as possible. (laughs) But she got a good picture of its face. And then uh, over in uh, Lower Canada on the East Coast recently, somebody got a picture of another one. They thought it was a Bigfoot in this area. And this guy's girlfriend got a snapshot of it. And when you zoom in on it, the face is the same thing that this friend of mine got down in, uh, you know, the deep south. It's the same critter, obviously. It's A, not a Bigfoot. And B, it's the same kind of critter. So, yeah, these things are all over the place. And according to the old uh, lore here in in the Rocky Mountains, uh, there was a report from one of the first fur trappers that got into the area that he had been warned by the local natives not to go into certain parts of the mountains because the giant people were fighting. Wow, that's crazy. Which he didn't really know what the hell they were talking about, but he took their advice and didn't go there, hence didn't die, and actually got to report this weird story. (laughs) So I got curious, and I started talking to some of the locals here about this, and what it sounds like is that at some point there were Gugwe living here in the Rocky Mountains, but the Bigfoot didn't like them which they don't still. And uh, they either drove them out or exterminated them. So the only places that I know of that there there's even any reports from around here at all is up by the Canadian border further west. And then there may be a pocket of them in uh, uh, northeast Yellowstone. But other than that, I don't think there's any around in the mountains anymore because the Sasquatch here just won't tolerate their presence. And, you know, yeah, Gugwe are nasty and scary to us. The biggest ones may be up to like 10 feet tall. Average one's seven feet, okay? Well, that's a big, scary, nasty monster to us. But when you're, you know, 12, 15 feet, that's a poodle. You just step on it and crush it. So Sasquatch decided to chase them out of the area. They haven't got much to say about it. (laughs) So these things, uh, all of these cryptids, 
it could potentially be different types of cryptids, not even related to one another. Yeah, like if the Gugwe are related to Bigfoot at all, I would be surprised because it's been my pet theory for a long time that this is probably some relic critter that's left over from the Ice Age that are really smart, good at keeping themselves out of the line of sight, you know, just like Bigfoot are. If they can do it, somebody else can do it. And that in all likelihood, it's some, something that's probably known. And that's what I always default to. When there's a description of a cryptid, go look at the fossil record. Has there ever been anything similar to it? Could be the same thing or could be a descendant of it. And in this case, as soon as we got that face-on shot of it, which, yeah, granted, it's way back in the bushes and you're with a friggin' cell phone. and But you can see the outline of the face perfectly. You can see the snout, the jaws, the nostrils, and especially the eyes. And when you line up that picture with a photograph of a known giant extinct, presumed to be extinct, primate, it looks exactly the same. And I'm talking about a uh, presumed to be extinct, extinct giant uh, species of baboon called a Dinopithecus, which if they're on all fours, they're looking at eye level at you. If they stand up, they're about nine feet tall. And the description of the Gugwe matches this thing perfectly. The only difference is a Gugwe doesn't, there's no descriptions of them having a tail. But then again, I don't know with the fossils that they found of the Dinopithecus, if there were tail bones or not. And, you know, even if it is the same creature after that long, it may have just, it doesn't have a tail anymore. <laughs> you know, like some monkeys and stuff have basically gotten rid of them too. So, so, so in, your, in your estimation, Duke, what is Patty? Is Patty like a legitimate? Patty, Patty is your typical Western California Sasquatch. They have different, you know, they're all very closely related, but they're just like tribes of people that are widely separated. They start developing characteristics that are more distinct to their region. So like most of the Sasquatch in the Pacific Northwest that you'll see are kind of built like her. They're kind of like barrels. They're really big and chunky. And then if you get up into my area, you start seeing more of them up here that are more like bodybuilder shaped. Um, down in the south, you see a lot of those, you know, giant monkey and bodybuilder shaped ones. You don't see very many of the huge stocky ones until, you know, alpha male as big as they're going to get size and they might be felt that much. But generally, they're not as big down there, which is, again, makes sense because too much of the year is too hot. And getting rid of that much body heat when you've got conditions like that is just, you know, untenable at some point. And it's the same thing with bears and stuff. If you're down in the south, a 300-pound bear is a big bear. If you're up here, you know, a 300-pound bear is a puny bear. we got 1,000-pound grizzlies. If you go up to Alaska, you got 1,500-pound grizzlies. Why? Because of conservation of body heat. If they've got the range in the food, it benefits them to get bigger because they can conserve their body heat better so the, the cold weather doesn't bother them as much. But on the other hand, hot weather does bother them. You can't put a moose in the south and keep it alive. It'll die. Anything above 45 is too hot as far as they're concerned. Mm, damn. You went deep there, Duke. <laughs> so listen, let's talk about characteristics, but I'm going to use Patty as an example, right? Okay. From, from what I've heard from individuals like yourself, you know, uh, Meldrum and many others, Bigfoot doesn't get seen unless it wants to get seen so using the patty footage why did patty get caught literally with like her pants down like what was the scenario behind that 
Well, first of all, let me qualify that I think your first supposition is mostly true. They rarely screw up. You rarely get a chance to see them by accident. You'll notice a lot of people that see them just randomly out of the blue. They're always talking about, well, the Bigfoot was seven feet tall. It was eight feet tall. Those are juveniles. They made a mistake. That's why you saw them. Unless they're playing scare the car, where they'll sit there on a section of road and wait until the car's damn near right in front of them, then run across. <laughs> and they don't realize there's other ones in the ditch watching the reaction of the drivers, seeing if they're going to crap their pants, crash the car, what's going to happen. It's just like when we're kids and you put the flaming bag of dog poop on the guy's porch and ring the doorbell and run away. They're doing that's the Bigfoot, Bigfoot equivalent. The other one is to come up and knock on your wall and run away. And see what kind of reaction you get. They're just playing pranks with you. And, and that's why hardly anybody ever reports really gigantic Bigfoot. Because the adults don't do that. If you see one of the really big adults, he wants you to see him. And he probably wants you to see him because you're pissing him off. And he wants you to knock it off before he loses his temper. So that's why you have so many of these reports of seven, eight foot tall Bigfoot. And very few of them are like 10, 12 bigger size because they ain't going to come out and mess around with some stupid human. Uh, and again, the kids messing up and, and being spotted and stuff, that's another, you know, because they're playful. They're just like our teenagers. They don't follow the rules very well. They maybe haven't learned why it's a good idea to follow the rules. <laughs> and they make mistakes and do dumb things and occasionally they get caught. Sometimes they get caught on camera, too. So was that what Patty, Patty was a juvenile female? No, Patty was full grown, and uh, what was going on with her is that basically it was a perfect set of circumstances. She was uh, probably upwind of them. They came around a corner where there was this big outcrop with trees and stuff on it. So where she was standing on that side of the river, she couldn't see them till they came around the corner. She couldn't smell them, and they were on horses. And when you're just sitting there listening and you can't see it or smell it and you hear that, you think it's an elk. Ah, yeah. So as soon as they came around the corner, then she went, whoop, and she started taking off. And Roger horse bucked him and he grabbed the camera, you know, was trying to stabilize himself and film her as she's boogieing away. Um, you know, of course, uh, Bob rode across the river, pulled his rifle out of his saddle holster to cover um, uh Roger, so that in case she decided to turn around or anything, but she had no intention. And that one section in the film where she turns and looks, she ain't looking at Roger. She's looking at Bob, who just rode across the river and pulled his gun. She's looking at him. That's why she just keeps on walking. Uh, so, yeah, they just basically got her by surprise. And then, uh, you know, there's all kinds of rumors that there had already been uh loggers there trying to hunt down the local bigfoot and stuff like that and even if there hadn't been their first reaction when they see a human is well i'm out of here <laughs> yeah do you believe that there might have been other bigfoot there and that oh absolutely there were blaine tyler has pointed out two others in the background in the same oh, piece of video and according to uh uh richard doty that i had on my show who knows the people that actually own a copy of the original film there's like seven seconds on the original film that was never shown in public that shows a little bitty one running after patty really so there was more there was an extended footage yep. that just yep, was never shown in in 
in the theater. Apparently, Roger was thinking that he would release that clip later on and make some more money off it, which would fund him to go back out in the field and try and film some more. But then cancer killed him. And there's only like two copies of the original one left on Earth. One of them's here in North America, and the other one, the Russians have it. So how come Gimlin doesn't talk about that extra piece of footage? He may not have noticed it. I mean, he was busy covering Roger, and Roger was way ahead of him on his right-hand side, filming across in front of where he was. And Bob had this huge tangle of timber and stuff in between him and that position. So even sitting on a horse, I doubt if he could have seen over it and see what was going on up there. Mm, interesting. So in terms of characteristics, like behaviors, et cetera, what, uh, what could you reveal that most people, even those that do research, might not know about these creatures or these beings? Oh, lots of things. Here's like, an like, interesting one. How do Bigfoot navigate in the dark? Go ahead. Because they can walk in complete darkness and not even make a sound. How in the hell do they do that? Well, they got two tricks. First of all, they live underground a lot. And as Rich Soule from the Knox Gigas Project and his team over there in Nebraska have been documenting, they not only have eye shine, they have eye glow. They can literally make their eyes glow. These guys have video of it. So when you're in an underground and you want a little bit of light around you to see what you're prowling through, that's a really handy skill. Second thing is, as uh, Bigfoot Anthropologist Channel has been doing audio breakdowns on this stuff, people send them a clip that there's probably Bigfoot in and go, here, do a breakdown, see if you can find anything. And what he does is he eliminates all the normal sounds, all the normal background sounds, the wind, people talking, footsteps walking around. What are you left with? Every single time if there's Bigfoot there, there's a series of clicks in the background going on. And if you check out these clicks enough and then you compare them, guess what they sound really, really similar to? Bats echolocating. So that's what they're doing. They click They can see an area about 30 feet around them, sonically maps it. They can walk that far without stepping on anything. Then they have to make another click to map the area in front of them, and they can move again. I gotcha. So, yeah, there's something most people don't know. They can echolocate, too. And they can do this with their uh, infrasound. They can use their infrasound to give you a sonar scan. So if you think you're going to sneak in and have a gun hidden on you or a camera hidden on you that they're not going to see... Don't waste your freaking time because they're going to see it. <laughs> right, they know what you have. They know you have it. And this this came up because one of my friends used to like to go out in this area where there was some like very habituated Sasquatch. They had already been hanging around to the family that lived there for about the better part of a generation. And so, you know, they got along with the humans that were there, just there just fine. So he started going out in this area and he would bring his guitar with him. And this guy's a professional musician. And he just set up a chair, sit there with his acoustic guitar, play his guitar, sing songs and stuff. And they'd start showing up. Well, there's one in particular that would get right in the tree line and look at him and then just sit down and really enjoy the, the whole concert. And then after, you know, he got done, he would get up and leave again. So he came out there one day and, uh, Put his plunked his chair down, started to sit down, saw some movement in the bushes, saw a face, and then the face disappeared again. He was like, wait, what? Played the guitar a little bit. Nobody showed up. And he realized he's got a bulge that he's sitting on, and he reaches around to feel his butt. Guess what's in his back pocket? His freaking cell phone. So he turned around, walked back to the car, threw the cell phone in the front seat of the car, came back out, 
sat down. As soon as he sat down, they were all there. There's three of them this time all on the edge of the wood line, getting ready for him to play. Cause they could like sonically ping him and go, he didn't even realize it. He didn't know he had it, but he still had his cell phone in his back pocket. Right. And they were afraid that he would yeah. take yeah. footage. Yeah. I mean, they don't, you know, like they don't trust anybody that much. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the more characteristics, tree structures, do they even mean anything? Like what? Do oh, they absolutely. Mean? Those are all markers that you know are like road signs to them. They know what they mean. We've only been able to figure out a very small amount of it. Snaps and stuff. They habitually do that when they go through an area. They'll snap things just force of you know regular. They do it all the time, basically. So force a habit, and this helps other ones figure out where they went. Because if there's one that's trying to follow them, oh, there's a snapped off branch nine feet up. He went that way. And then they can follow the tracks, more snaps, whatever. Well-traveled travel routes, they'll actually put leaners up where they'll take like a branch off of another tree or an old dead tree or something, and they'll lean it against the trunk of another tree. And that indicates a travel route going through there. So they don't make game trails because that's a dead giveaway. Like deer and these other dumb animals will all find an easy path, and they'll keep using it over and over and make a game trail. Bigfoot aren't stupid. <laughs> they don't they rarely will walk on a game trail and if they got a travel route you'll see like leaners and stuff and snaps but you won't see a game trail but i followed some of these before and one of them was just a classic example of what they do there's a snap okay go this way there's probably some tracks over here sure enough there's a track there's another track there's another track there's another track then there's no more tracks where did he go did he vanish <sighs> No, his track started over 10 feet to the right. He jumped to his side, took four more steps. Then he jumped back to the left about six feet, took four more steps. Then he jumped to his right again, about eight feet, took four more steps. So there's no trail to follow unless you're looking for individual tracks. And they're not following each other's footsteps. They've just got this marker somewhere within 50 feet, <laughs> that direction, there's our travel route. Just go that direction until you see the see the next marker. And they're trying to avoid stepping on the other guy's footprints because it leaves a trail. So that's why it's so ridiculously hard to track these guys. They know they leave footprints, and they're trying to avoid doing it. And going back to the Minnesota trackway, this is in the middle of winter when there's deep snow on it. One of the things they observed when they were filming these 3,000-plus footprints is that the subject kept walking on fallen trees. Like, that's a really good way to not leave a track. Yeah, walk on the fallen tree trunks, and they've got feet that can wrap. So they can walk down something like that, just like we can walk down a sidewalk. And the other interesting thing was, again, this behavior is so habitual for him that even though it was the middle of the winter, he was still doing it. Dude, there's like, you know, a foot of snow on top of each one of those fallen trees, but he's still walking down them. Hmm. These things are ingenious. <laughs> That's how they stay hidden from us, because they smart, we dumb. <laughs> you, you, you had a, we had a brief conversation one time, and you had told me that they, because they've observed us for so many years that they've picked up our languages. So they, they can speak English and probably Spanish. Um, well, yes and, and no. In whatever area that they're in, and if they're not way out in the middle of nowhere, if they're somewhere where there's like a park around or, you know, a lake, humans go to their camp, whatever. Humans are hiking around on these trails and stuff. 
whatever language that that the humans in that area are speaking, they're going to pick up a lot of it. They never practice speaking it because they're not speaking English to each other. So they probably won't speak any English to you. But that doesn't mean they don't understand what you're saying. Basic conversational English, they probably have a pretty good grasp of it. Same thing in the areas south where you've got Spanish or anything. Tribal areas with reservations and stuff, the ones that have been living around there for generations, they know their language really well because they've been hearing it for generations. They got almost all the words figured out. Some of the stuff that we would say, modern technical terminology, you know, Skylab and stuff like, they don't know what the hell any of that means. Start talking about combustion engines, they're lost. But, you know, if you say yes, no, I love you, things like they understand what all that means. So what about the samurai chatter? What do you think that is? That's their language. That's their original language, their true language? They're, they have more than one language. It depends on what area they're Just think of them as like a native tribe. Do all the tribes have the same language? No. Sioux have their language, Choctaw have their language, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same thing with them. There's regional areas that are basically all one tribe, and they all have the same language. And some of them seem to, you know, even if they don't use the language the other tribe over uses or something, they sure as hell know what those words mean. So if you go in the woods and start yelling hello to them in three or four tribal languages, you've got their attention 100%. Because there's a human out here yelling hello in three different Sasquatch tribal languages. Who's he friends with? Now they're curious. (laughs) (laughs) Do you believe that they know how to build fires? Some of them do, but they don't hardly ever do it because it gives away their position. Mostly, if they're going to use fire, they'll go underground and do it so there isn't this big smoke thing coming up that we can spot right away. And is that from observing us, or is that something in That's the main thing. They used to use fire a lot more, but, you know, it gives away their position, and their number one priority is hide from us because we can't be freaking trusted. So back to Patty before we go on to the next thing. Do you think Patty's still alive? I hear... I hear various reports on that. Um, She could be because they have longer lifespans than we do. So it's not at all uh, guaranteed that she died of old age at this point. Now, they seem to live uh, well over 100 years routinely, so she could easily still be around. I wonder what. Damn, Bob Gimlin's almost that old. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he's getting there. He's up there in age. Yeah. Yeah. when you started doing your research, do you remember the day you started doing that? And, and like, was that something that like you needed to be convinced to do it or was it something? No, it was spring 1977 when I had my second encounter and it was right in the yard on my house. And then I went, well, staying out of the woods isn't doing any damn good. Now I got to try and figure out what the hell these things are. So yeah, spring 77. How old were you then? Do you, do you remember? Uh, 15. And were you solo or did you form a group? No, I didn't. Nobody in Minnesota believed Bigfoot were real. There was no group to be formed. All right. So talk about like your, your first expedition, so to speak, when you went to research these, these, these creatures. Well, I didn't bother to go looking for them until way, way later in life. I never went looking for them in Minnesota. They came bad, bad enough. I was running into signs of them and stuff. <clears throat> and at the time, I didn't know anything about tree structures. But I can remember now when I was a kid hunting in some of these various swamps and stuff, seeing what I nowadays would have immediately been over there filming, obvious tree structure. But at the time, I was just like, well, that's weird. 
How'd all those trees fall all together like that and form that giant teepee? How peculiar, you know, typical dumbass, Mr. Oblivious, no idea what's going on. So you you referenced the teepee. I wanted to ask you about that, the teepee structure versus just a break that's pointing in some specific direction. What, well, they what make a bunch of different structures. They make X structures, they make teepee structures, they make giant asterisk structures or right, any size asterisk structures. Um, there's, you know, floating axes. There's all kinds of peculiar things that they make. And again, most of it, we don't have any idea what it means. Uh, we do know that if you find a structure, do not move any of the pieces around. Don't even touch them. Do not disturb the area, especially don't take a whiz on it or anything. Because, you know, that's like walking into somebody's front yard where they got an art sculpture up and taking a whiz on it. Oh, man, are you asking for it? Just leave it alone. Take pictures if you want. That's fine. Don't get mad about that. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, if, if they built these tree structures, like, let's say, like a teepee, is it something where they just built it and that they're going to be in that area for a while? Or do they just leave it after a while? No, generally they only make big constructions in areas that they basically got control of. It's like their territory. X structures are territorial markers. And really big X structures are territorial markers from the Alpha and the troop because he made it himself. And he's trying to show off to everybody else how big and bad he is. See this giant keep out sign that's six stories tall? You sure you want to come in here? <laughs> and generally the answer is no. <laughs> right, I got you. I don't know uh, if you remember they're last They're really serious year. about it. They'll actually put a leaner on one side of it. The leaner is the side you're supposed to stay on. Don't go past it. Right, so they'll warn you. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, if you're another Sasquatch, humans don't know what it means. Right. So sometimes we get the pass because we're ignorant dummies. And they're like, oh, just walk past the no trespassing sign. He's a stupid human. He can't read it. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> The Universal Dialect Show will return. But first, a word from our sponsor. In a world where style knows no boundaries, where self-expression reigns supreme, there is a rise creations. Introducing Arise Creation, the ultimate destination for fashion-forward individuals seeking affordable, unisex apparel that caters to every unique style. Arise Creations brings you an exceptional collection of unisex fashion essentials, from trendy tops that blend style and comfort, to versatile bottoms and footwear that add an extra layer of sophistication. We've got you covered from head to toe. Arise Creations is more than just a clothing line. We strive to create an inclusive space where everyone can find fashionable and affordable pieces that reflect their unique personality. With indelible designs, we ensure that anyone can confidently wear our products, breaking down barriers while embracing individuality. But that's not all. Arise Creations is proud to be affiliated with the Universal Dialect Show. A groundbreaking podcast that explores the world of music, paranormal, art, fashion, and beyond. Join the conversation on YouTube, BitChute, Spotify, App Podcast, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Arise Creations is committed to making fashion accessible to all.
We believe that styles should know no bounds and everyone deserves to feel confident and empowered in what they wear. With our affordable prices and diverse product range, we're here to help you unleash your true self. Come and unleash your style and embrace your individuality. Arise Creations, where fashion meets affordability and self-expression. Please visit our website today to explore our collection and be a part of the fashion revolution. Arise Creations and the Universal Dialect Show, empowering you to create your own destiny. Head to www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Arise Creations. 73. Again, that's www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Arise Creations. So that's A-R-I-S-E-C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N-S, the number seven and the number three. And bring your look to new heights. No, uh, my, my youngest went to Vermont last year, uh, and they took a picture of this tree structure, not knowing that they took this picture when they showed it to me. I was like, that's a freaking tree structure. I think I send it to you. I'm going to send it to you again, but um, this was in Vermont, so, and I didn't know Vermont had Sasquatch. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Everywhere on the Upper East Coast and up into Lower Canada on that side of the continent, there's plenty of Sasquatch up there. You'd be surprised. Where are uh, there not? Maine, <laughs> uh, DL Susie's had a uh, channel. I don't know if he's still active or even alive, but for years, all he was doing is reports of uh, Bigfoot sightings up in Maine and uh, old, really old ones, back to the 1700s, late 1600s, and then modern stuff. And then he also had, did bushcrafting too. So I mean, there's like there's little big Bigfoot researcher channels all over the damn country if you just go look for them. Pretty much every state, there's at least one. Where where are there not Sasquatch? What do you believe Sasquatch do not? Uh, probably Hawaii, because we don't get any reports from Hawaii. They have the Manahuni there, the little people. Maybe Antarctica. I don't know. There was some report from the... Uh, somebody caught a call from British Secret Service that were in Antarctica that was supposed to be from them to their base. And somebody at another base intercepted and heard the call. And they were saying something about having problems and having a firefight with snowmen. So what does oh, that mean? And that's I, Antarctica. <laughs> what about Madagascar? Uh, like, yeah, Madagascar for sure. All of the, those islands down there, they've all got different kinds of, uh, usually what they call them is uh, orangs. You know, like you've heard of orang, orangutan. Like uh, Rang Pandek is the littler version of it, and uh, there's a couple of uh, uh, Rang Mawas is the big one that we would think of as like Sasquatch size. So like pretty much every island over there, they've all got their own legends of this Sasquatch-like creature that lives. You know, a little bit different variation in description, a little different, you know, different names and stuff. And it's the same thing in the Himalayas. Everybody's all like, "Ooh, the Yeti." Which one? There's three different kinds. There's the human-sized one, there's the little one, there's the one that's about Sasquatch size, and then there's the one that isn't kind of even a Yeti called the Nyalmo, 
that's like 15 to 20 feet tall, which may have been what the Indian Army found tracks of a few years ago on the slopes of Makalu, because the tracks are like 17 inches wide and 30-some inches long. That's a little bit on the too big to be a Bigfoot size, so yeah. I got you. I got you. So uh, the Kandahar giant, would that be considered a Sasquatch? Or is that no, that's, like a that's, that's a giant. That's a giant. Okay, I got you. Straight up giant. And, and uh, same parameters as the reports we had from North America. Giants of Lovelock Cave, white with red hair. Well, there weren't any white people on the continent, so that's peculiar to start with. And then red hair. Natives have red hair? Hell no. Where'd they come up with this description? Well, it happens to be the exact same description that but hundreds of years later uh, comes up as something they had a fight with in Kandahar, Afghanistan, which also matches exactly with the description of the biblical giants, which are white with red hair, and the Norse Frost giants, which are white with red hair. This is all over the world. Right. Yeah, because I, I heard that also somewhere in the Grand Canyon. Yeah, that's probably... No doubt. Well, Lovelock isn't that far away from that region, so if there was a tribe of them there, you know, and according to Princess Winnemucca, they had a war with these guys for several years to try and get them to quit raiding them and eating them, and uh, they weren't winning. <laughs> the Giants were taking the short end of the stick on that one, and it got to the point where where nowadays there's just a big desert there at the mouth of uh, Lovelock Cave below it. Back in those days, there was an inland sea there. And they made these reed rafts and floated them out to the middle of this inland sea. And that's where the giants were living. Because if they were on shore, the natives would find them and kill their asses. Well, then finally, the giants decided to come back to shore. And they went into the Lovelock Cave, which is apparently on the opposite side of this inland sea from where the Paiutes were. So their spies figured out where these assholes were and came and told them, hey, we found them. Okay, well, let's go give them the ultimatum. Hey, giant jerks, quit eating us and we'll let you live. And the giant jerks are like, screw you guys, you're yummy. We're going to keep eating you. And they're like, okay, then we're going to pile this cave full of firewood and burn your asses alive. And that's what they did. And, of course, you know, that's a legend and everything until a Bigfoot researcher that was there with a team of other guys was walking around inside the cave, not on the little walkway, and found a giant greasy handprint of a giant right on the wall. And they got a picture of it before the park service showed up and uh, scrubbed it off again. Right. They got a human's hand next to it, and they also have a Bowie knife next to it for scale. And this hand is like twice as big right. as a regular human's hand, if not bigger. So, Duke, you referenced the park services, and I've heard, again, in other podcasts, also you've talked about how there's this concerted effort to kind of scrub that information. Why do you think that is? Because uh, it blows apart the whole narrative that uh, the powers that be want to present to people as reality when it isn't. Do you believe like like our government has a specimen? Of what? They got specimens of everything. That, hey, you just answered my question. <laughs> yeah. Of, of which kind? If it's out there, they probably got a specimen of it. Right. You're right. You're right. They probably do. But I mean, you hear these stories like, you know, people hunting and then they see a Bigfoot and the next thing you know, the military pops up and tells them to leave. Yeah. You know, Um, or they're a member of the BFRO and they're making reports all the time. And then they have a beef with the BFRO and they leave the group. And all of a sudden the whole area is swarmed with black helicopters and guys in military uniforms running around at night and lots of pow, pow, pow. And then there's no Bigfoot around anymore. Yeah. 
I've heard that too. But it, most of it comes from you. Most of those like encounters that that you talk about. But um, talk about like your encounters, doing your research. What have been some of your, you know, most amazing encounters? Uh, the last trip out this fall, we were camping in September up in my main research area, but we couldn't get up there until um saturday so when we got there the site that we usually camp on was already taken that's so one yeah we had to go further down the river to where we don't usually camp and camp there overnight and then the following day was sunday so the people that were camping there left because they probably have jobs <laughs> uh, so we went and moved over to that site and camped there the following night but the first night we weren't on our usual campsite and apparently our, our buddies up there were trying to figure out where we were at because about an hour after dark, one of them came walking into camp. And all you could hear was swish, swish, thud, thud. And I mean, the loudest footsteps you can imagine. I've stood right next to a fence that had a draft horse running past me on the other side of it. You could feel the ground shake. It's incredibly loud. That was like nothing compared to this. When I heard that, the first thing I thought of is, the hell, is that a moose? That's way too heavy for a moose. What just walked into camp? Well, I'm laying in my tent on an air mattress, uh, so I don't, you know, all I can hear is these two heavy thuds, and they're close to the tent. Well, Johnny, who was in his uh, car sleeping, well, he wasn't quite asleep. He was just sitting in the front seat, and he had it reclined back and had a sleeping bag pulled up, so his feet were on the floorboards. When those two impacts from the footprints hit the ground, his car shook on Mm -hmm. each one. And since the sound was coming from directly between my tent and his car, which is about 50 feet, he was probably right in between the two. That's about 25 feet away. How heavy do you have to be when you set your foot down 25 feet from a car, the car shakes? And were you able to see? Oh, no, hell no. I wasn't getting out of my tent to go piss him off. Right. Johnny pulled his sleeping bag down and tried to see him, but there's no light. It's pitch black, so he couldn't see anything. He was just so hoping it wouldn't means, turn the car over or something. So it was, was it one? one uh, yep, it was just one big one that came into camp probably to figure out where we were because no doubt they were expecting us to be there, and the campsite we usually camp on had other people on it. So they went, you know, let's figure out where they camped at. <laughs> right. So what, so what would be the, the, the reason? Because, I mean, like if I can't speak for being a Bigfoot, but like they know that humans go in there and they camp. So why would yeah. they even care to want to know where you're at and not just uh, go Because, you know, we've been visiting them for eight years. We know that they're there. They know that we know that they're there. Uh, we bring them goodies and leave them goodies when we go. So they got, you know, cookies or apples or something like that that they can right. eat. So they look forward to it. It's like Santa Claus is coming to town. And when Santa leaves, he leaves presents. So since we weren't on the usual campsite, they're like, well, where the hell are they? We know they're coming up. They know a couple days in advance when you're going to go somewhere where they are because they can sense your intentions. They know you're coming. So when when we're supposed to be there and we're not there, they get curious where they end up at. Who are these other guys on their usual campsite? They must be near here. Check the other campsites. So when you talk about they can sense your intentions, like what, like how, how do they do that? What is that like a power that they have? Telepathy. Mm. That's how they talk to each other too. They don't hardly ever do any, you know, talk with their lips like we do. They can just mind speak with each other. That's the way animals communicate and stuff too. And depending on how smart they are, some of them are really dumb and they haven't got much (laughs) communication. 
but the Sasquatch definitely do. And, you know, mind speak, I don't understand why really they made up the word for that, other than that it's not exactly the same as telepathy, because they're not so much conveying a sentence as they are a thought. And they can also send you a mental image. They can even send you a smell. Mm. Like email, it can do everything with all your senses, basically. So, so do you have to have a connection with them already? or? Well, that's the whole thing. If you're just a random human, you're going to show up up in their area. They don't know until you're there. If you keep showing up and stuff, then they're going to get curious. And Why does he keep showing up here? Is he fishing? Is he hunting? What's he doing? Well, if it's none of the above and you're walking around filming their structures and ooing and aahing, it doesn't take them long to figure out why you're there. Then they get really curious. And then after uh, a while more, like two or three years at least, <laughs> they may decide that you're pretty harmless and that they don't have to really worry about you. And then they start getting really close to camp when you're sitting there at night around the campfire telling stories and jokes, listen to what you're talking about and stuff like that. And after a long enough period, if you're, you know, if you have like inner, any kind of interchange with them, like I said, we'll, we leave them like apples and stuff like that after we leave, just so that's like, you know, a show of goodwill. Thanks for letting us camp on your land. We love you guys. Here's some apples for you. Uh, well, you know, then they're to the point where it's like they not only know they can trust you, but you're actually going to leave goodies and stuff. Well, now they're super curious. Well, even some sometime probably before that, They've established some kind of a mental connection with you, which some people say that, like, uh, they mark you uh, so that they can always find you afterwards and stuff, which would not surprise me at all. I think it actually is true. But if they've got you in the position where they've already marked you as, like, okay, we like this human, mark him, keep an eye on him, what's he up to? They know in two or three days before you're coming up there because you've got that intention going. I'm making plans, I'm getting the food together, I'm packing up all my gear and stuff. It's in your mind all the time. And they're like, oh, he's coming. <laughs> Get ready for cookies. It's almost cookie time again. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you see them as being like good or bad? Like there's good Bigfoot, bad Bigfoot? Uh, as, as much as I see humans as being good or bad. Humans are all kind of neutral. Most of them lean toward being good. Some of them lean toward being bad. And then there's extremes of really, really good and really, really bad. And it's the same thing with them because they're people. They have language, social structure, rules, the whole damn thing. So <clears throat> there's, you know, their societal structures, the way they run things makes it a lot more difficult to be quote unquote bad and get away with it than what it does with humans. First of all, they can all mind speak. So you can't lie to another Sasquatch and tell them you didn't steal the cookies. They know you're lying. They can read your mind. So you can't get away with that shit. And the second thing is they don't have jails. So if you break some major rule or something, they can't put you in jail. They've only got three choices. They could beat the crap out of you, expecting that you will learn your lesson. They can throw you completely out of the tribe for good. You're on your own forever. That sucks even if you're a Sasquatch. And the third option is they twist your head off. So they don't screw around very much because the repercussions for screwing around very much are really, really bad. Okay, so, so the chances, for instance, to have, because, you know, humans, like you said, we have extremely good people. We have extremely bad. We have, like, serial killers. Yeah. 
so so do they have like their own version of like serial killer bigfoot that yes the the good news here is that the tribes of bigfoot that are generally good intention don't seem to want to have anything to do with the bad ones so generally you won't find any of the bad ones wandering around in their territory they'll know about it that one of them's there and they'll be doing something to like hey go did you see that six-story x structure that means you get out <laughs> and they could take a hint when they got a whole other tribe of Sasquatch that are about to whip their ass. They will leave the area. Uh, the other thing is that the ones, the ones that are like fairly neutral, none of them are really friendly to us. They don't want anything to do with us. We're a pain in the ass and untrustworthy and inscrutable. They don't understand a lot of the stuff that we're doing. It doesn't make any sense to them. But for the ones that are willing to put up with us, the main reason for it is because of food. Because uh, there's crops in the field, uh, you know, there's extra chickens that they won't notice are missing. There's dumpsters that they, uh, this restaurant goes and throws yummy food in this dumpster every night. I got to do is wait for them to close and go pick it up. Yum, yum, yum. Well, the ones that are doing that and they're opportunistic. If they're living, you know, around where humans are, that's probably one of the reasons because they can get more food from us without us knowing it. But that also means that they're observing us at close range a lot more. So they have a lot better understanding of some of the peculiar weird shit humans do. So they have a little bit more patience for it. The ones that want nothing to do with us are the ones that are way out in the middle of nowhere. And it takes effort to get to where they're at. And part of the reason they might be there is because they want nothing to do with us. And they're not going to have very much patience with you being there. They have two options, chase you away, make you disappear. And some of those, uh, you know, nasty ones, they don't care if they kill you or something. They might hide the body so nobody ever figures out what happened. Are they going to eat you? Probably not. They don't seem to think that we're yummy. <laughs> Giants will eat you. Gugwe will eat you. Bigfoot, probably not. They seem to like kidnapping people for amusement and or uh, breeding purposes. There's been quite a few reports of them kidnapping native women um, to use for love slaves. And it's usually the young ones that are doing it that aren't part of a group. If they were part of a group, the alpha would put his foot down probably on their head and stop them from doing it. Because that's too much, you know, you start messing with the humans, you draw their attention. They see the cause and effect. A human goes missing in the woods, suddenly there's a thousand freaking humans roaming around the woods, helicopters, all this other shit they don't want. <laughs> and this is one of the reasons that it could be that some of these times when a kid goes missing or something and they can't find him. And all of a sudden the kid shows up perfectly intact in the same area. They searched three times. How the hell did that happen? Somebody walked off with a kid and the leader of the group went, uh, 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 bring him back. We're going to have a zillion humans running around the woods here, causing trouble. We're going to have to move out of the area. Screw that. Bring the kid back. What the hell's wrong with you? And then all of a sudden the kid appears again, perfectly intact, with stories about how a bear kept them nice and warm and fed them berries for the last couple of days. Right. I actually know somebody who, when he was a kid, he was about four years old, they were uh, at a cabin, and he wandered away, and nobody was paying attention to him. And he was hopelessly lost in the woods, and a Bigfoot picked him up, brought him back to where the rest of the family was, and they sat there and apparently had some kind of conversation he couldn't understand, decided what they wanted to do. And then they picked him up and brought him back to where the cabin was and left him right there at the edge of the clearing so he could see the cabin. And maybe somebody would see him and notice he was there. And then that was it. They took off again. Well, same thing. 
why is this kid wandering around the woods by himself? <laughs> That's really bad parenting. Somebody needs to keep an eye on him till we figure out where he came from and bring him back there. <laughs> they would never do that. Never, ever, ever. Not in a million years. They won't let their females go unaccompanied. If there's a female, there's a male nearby, period. So with Patty, there was, there was two or three big males there. She was trying to get over to the edge of the hillside to where they were at and get under cover in the woods there and away from the two Yahoo cowboys with the bucky horses and the camera. Right. Right. So as a researcher, uh, Duke, and being out there camping, hiking, are you not worried that you're going to run into one of these Yahoo uh, Sasquatches or these other cryptids that want to eat you? Yeah, it's always possible. That's why you shouldn't go into areas that you don't already know unarmed. You should go into you know areas you haven't reconned armed like Rambo, and preferably with more than one person. Are you armed like Rambo? If I go into an area like that, I do. My main research areas, I usually don't even bother to carry a knife or anything with me anymore. If I'm going very far away from where the campsite is, then I carry my broadsword with in case we run into a mountain lion or something that wants to be stupid and get killed. But if around the campsites and stuff, if you've been going there for a long period of time, uh, you can pretty much guarantee that while you're there, they've got at least one sentinel watching you all the time. And they know where their cookies and apples are coming from. So if they see some other predator trying to sneak up on you, well, that's the end of their cookies and apples if it's successful, right? <laughs> so you kind of have them actually following behind being your bodyguard. And sane, rational animals don't want to be anywhere near them. They have a better sense of smell than we do. They can smell them. So if you've got one of these big Sasquatch following you around, you might not be able to smell it, but every normal animal within half a mile probably can. And they're not going nowhere near that thing because <laughs> they know what's going to happen. And it's not going to be pleasant and they won't be surviving it. All right. So when you go so when you go out camping, are you shirtless with a band of bullets and a bandana on? No, no, no. Now, there's like one other guy that's uh, copying me now that carries a broadsword around. That's what I carry. They don't like guns, uh, even though they trust me and stuff. And I've heard other people say, you know, after after you get their trust, they kind of don't care that much anymore because they know you won't use it on them. But for even more good faith, when we have guns with, we just keep them right in the vehicles in camp. When we go walking around out in the woods or something, then we carry broadswords or a spear or something like that in case you run into, you know, grumpy stupid bears or mountain lions or something but the sasquatch are not at all threatened by hand weapons we're too pitiful to be able to do much of anything with them you know and unless they're right there you can't hit them anyway <laughs> they're afraid of you know firearms that's what freaks them out they don't like being shot i got you so what equipment do you bring with you when you go out researching uh tape measure camera broadsword there you go and then when you when you take pictures no, right. I get video. I don't bother taking pictures. Okay, so you don't take pictures. Do you video no. random? Oh, random yeah. Pictures? Yeah, and then you come back and you look at it afterwards and you find uh, all kinds of random Bigfoot watching you while you're videotaping. I got you. I got and then you, you go back to the same spot again because you have to for comparison video. And you have a, a huge struggle trying to A, get there, and B, figure out exactly where it is because you got to be within about three square feet in order to get comparison video, right? There's no trails. We're out in the middle of freaking nowhere in the mountains. So you got to be pretty good at figuring out where you were at before it even get the comparison video. And a couple times while we were doing that, they were there photobombing us. 
I'm sitting there going, okay, it looked like there was one over here on this pile of boulders sticking his head up. Let's take some video. There's no black object pe peeking up over this thing. Whatever it was, it was animate. It looked like one of them's head. And then I'll go back and I'll look at the video. And yeah, over here on the right-hand side, there's one laying down behind a tree trunk watching me. And then I'll go back and look at the previous video where we got the head and look over there, and there's nothing there. Like, well, I already shot the comparison video for this one. <laughs> <laughs> so why why the blob squats? Why is uh, it the that's part of their cloaking ability. They can actually make themselves look blurry. Mitch uh, was not – he thought he was joking, but he wasn't when he said you need to – lay off the Bigfoot researchers and quit complaining about how lousy their cameras are. It's not their fault. It's not the camera. It's just that Bigfoot's blurry. And that's very disturbing. There's a giant blurry creature running around the woods that we know basically nothing about. Uh, yeah, they've got very peculiar hair and they also develop a trick as they get older where they can raise their vibration. And when they raise their vibration enough, they start getting blurry. When they're next to an object, and we've tried this with their hair, we have hair samples, put it on some object that's a solid color, and then hit it with a bright light and watch what happens. All of a sudden, you can't see the hair anymore because it turns the same color as the object that it's right next to. And this is one of their tricks that they use for hiding and breaking up their outline. If they're sitting underneath the tree, part of them is going to look like a black shadow because generally they're black anyway. And how you can tell it's not a shadow is it's too black to be a shadow. But if there's any parts that are sticking out somewhere where there's light, it'll take on the color what's right next to them, like a pine branch or whatever. You have to look for the outline and see, oh, my God, there's actually one sitting there blending in. And we got video of one up in Canada doing this in broad daylight. He's standing on the far side of a river. This guy spots him, zooms in on him. He's black. You can see his head, his shoulders, his arms, all the way down to his waist, standing in this bush looking at this guy. And while the guy's got him on video, he starts fading out. And the black goes in and in and in and in and disappears. And if you're not paying attention, you don't notice that his outline is still there. He just turned green, like the color of everything that he's standing in. He just blended in with it. And what's even better is Blaine Tyler took a look at this and sent me a screen crop and went, hey, dude, I, I lightened this up. Guess what? There's three more in the background. And yeah, when you lighten it up and you zoom in, yeah, there's three more. You can see them back there in the bushes behind them. Well, this one's caught right out in the open and blends in. So definitely they can do that. And then the other uh, theory that we have is if they raise their vibrational level high enough, they can actually bend the light around them. And we have a picture from one of my research areas where somebody that was with me had this weird feeling like something was behind them watching them. They turned around and took a picture. And when you look at the picture, it's bending. The light in the picture isn't like it's like bending. There's trees in the foreground that come right up to the middle of the picture and then bend and go that way. Everything is bending. There's a distortion area. And there's a distortion area within the distortion area. And when you outline it, it's something that's human shaped, really big, standing there reaching its arm out toward the person with the camera. Mm. And if you look at it even more closely, over what would be the shoulder of the distortion area, about 30 feet in the background, there's a clear and obvious Bigfoot's head peeking around a tree watching. So we got pretty good evidence they can do these tricks. We've got it on video and pictures of them doing this stuff. So, so it's essentially they're able 
they're able to manufacture two different sorts of processes. One is absorption, absorbing the environment around them, and reflection is being able to reflect it. Yeah, I don't know if they're reflecting or absorbing or anything like that. They're just blending. Um, you know, like I said, you could still see the outline of this being on the other side of the river. It just turned green. All the black on it just went into the center until it was gone. It was the same color as the bush behind it. But you could still see its outline. It hadn't moved. It just blended into the bush. If you were just casually looking at it, you would never notice it. Because, like, yeah, Sasquatch outline in the bush. Like, who's going to notice that, even if you're looking for it? And the ones that were in the bush behind it were far enough back, unless you lightened it up and zoomed in on that spot, you couldn't see them anyway. So they weren't even trying to blend in. They were just hiding in the bush. That what one blended best? in. That one did his blendy trick because he got caught in the open and panicked. He should have just stood there and said, I'm a stump, I'm a stump, I'm a stump, and not moved at all until the human got bored and walked away and went, well, it never moved. It must just be a stump. And then it comes back a couple hours later, and the stump ain't there. You hear that one a lot, too. <laughs> caught out in the open, freeze, pretend you're a stump. I had that happen with one that I caught out in the open. It's exactly what he did. He plopped down on his butt, pretended he was a stump. And he was only about 60 feet away. So when I pulled the, I was going to pull my camera out and get some video of him. And right about then, the face on the stump grimaced at me. And I went, mm. well, stumps don't grimace. That's an actual Bigfoot. I'm not taking any video. And have a great time. I'm leaving now. <laughs> what does the grimace He's 60 feet away. If I piss him off, I'm dead. There's nobody right. else out there with me. <laughs> I've heard of the grimace. What is, what is that? Yeah, it's, you know, the evil frown. Right. But is that like a defense mechanism? No, that's just telling you, like in facial expressions that we as humans also use, you're pissing me off and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so you see the grimace, obviously. Get oh, yeah. If you see some gangster <laughs> that's seven feet tall walking up grimacing at you, what are you going to think? <laughs> I'm going to ask him what's up. <laughs> I'm going to say, hey, homie, sorry if I'm pissing you off. I'm leaving now. Out of the hood. Bye. So other than, other than Patty, which is considered the best footage ever, have you seen better footage or as comparable? No, there, there isn't really any better footage that anybody wants to admit is real. That's a problem. When anybody turns out any good footage, everybody jumps on it and says, Fake! And, uh, you know, second best video, uh, Freeman, the Freeman footage. And he's a perfect example of that because he had, like, you know, all of the old Pacific Northwest Bigfoot researchers dogpiled him, said he was a hoaxer, said it was all bullshit. And then Jeff Meldrum came out and visited him. And the same day Jeff showed up, he had found a track line in the snow. So he brought Jeff out and showed it to him. And then Jeff left. But unbeknownst to him, Jeff came back later and didn't tell Paul that he was there. And he went up to the spot where Paul had showed him the tracks. And Paul didn't even realize it, but the tracks went way further out in the woods. So Meldrum found that and followed him to the point where it was like starting to get dark and this is pretty creepy and I'm out here by myself and nobody knows I'm here and maybe I should leave. <laughs> but that's what convinced him that Bigfoot was real because he went and actually followed up on Freeman and he got a bunch of his track casts and stuff around. Paul was a real deal. And then he got like Harley Hoffman. There's another one. Two really spectacular little clips. Everybody dogpiled on him. You're full of crap. You're a hoaxer. And he's one of the first people that started talking about the woo, that they had mental communication abilities. They've got a social structure, blah, blah. All the stuff I just told you is stuff he was talking about when he released that video. And they dogpiled him so bad, he just said, 
fuck you and quit. All right. All right. <laughs> what what about Todd Standing? Do you do you like that footage or no? Uh, it's hard for me to. Some of the stuff that Todd has shot to me looks absolutely legit, and other stuff that he shot doesn't look like it. And I wasn't there with him, so I don't know for sure. I got you. I got you. Um, I do know that uh, I've heard some kind of uh, not very positive things about him from some of the researchers here in Montana, because he used to come here to Montana and do research. And he's, you know, the one guy he actually horned in on, according to this guy, horned in on his research area by having gone there with him once and then went to the natives and went, can I get permission to go on the res and go do some research? And they're like, who the hell are you? And he's like, I've been here already with so-and-so, showed him pictures when he was there. And they just took him to his word and went, okay, not realizing he didn't have permission from the other guy to be there or anything. But apparently the Bigfoot figured that out right away and chased his ass out of there, which is hilarious because he's got like three places in Montana that he's done research and he says he doesn't research there anymore. The Bigfoot are too aggressive. Mm. Well, I've never seen any aggressive ones here. That's all I do is research in Montana, Todd. Where are these aggressive ones? They don't chase me out. (laughs) Because they know your intentions. Because they know my <laughs> intentions exactly, and that's why Todd couldn't get away with it. You could buffalo your way past the, you know, the natives because they haven't got telepathy. But these right. other guys that you want to get close do, <laughs> and they already got to see you once and do a read on you, and they don't trust you. And now they got less reason to trust you because you lied to get in there. What are your thoughts on the Colorado Bigfoot footage? Do you ever get to see that? It's fake. I had okay. somebody point that out to me the very day that it came out, and I hadn't even seen it. And I went and did some uh, closer looking at it. First of all, all the Sasquatch, the, the real legit ones, uh, I've never seen one that has hair on the bottom of its legs that look like bell bottoms. <laughs> so that's kind of a dead giveaway. Second thing is, even though the guy in the suit was doing a great job of doing the Bigfoot walk, he was bent over with you know knees bent, arms swinging, his arms aren't long enough, his shins were too long. Human proportion doesn't match Bigfoot proportion. And Thinker Thunker has been pointing that out for a long time. And then as if that isn't enough, this isn't like a regular railroad. This is a small-gauge tourist train railroad. So it just goes in a little loop, right? So even though they're like, oh, that's way out in the middle of nowhere. Well, no. <laughs> and it's on a very predictable schedule. So even though you may have to walk a ways to get to that spot, all you got to do is sit there on your butt until the train goes by, and you know within like 10 minutes when it's going to be there. So you're not going to be sitting there with a suit on all day. Oh, the train should be here. Throw it on. There right. they are. Walk out in the open. Sit down. Here's another tell. Why did it move? It didn't have to. It didn't have to. Any Bigfoot wouldn't have moved. They would have sat still, so none of the dumb humans would have noticed them, and they would have gotten no video. Here's another one. There's actually a local Bigfoot group there that does Bigfoot tours. They take people out to try and find Bigfoot. Well, guess how really close to that spot they are. And here's another one where somebody leaked a picture of one of the members of that group with half of a Bigfoot suit on, the lower part of it. Same exact hair, same color. (laughs) So, 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 Duke, how do you feel about things like that when you're trying to do serious research, Meldrum and individuals like that? Like, what does that do to the topic? 
when you have people hoaxing like that. Well, it's irritating, but that's, you know, like that isn't the only thing that's going on. You've always got idiot hoaxers that are, in this case, trying to make money. Come, you know, give us your tourist money and we'll take you on a Bigfoot tour. Or ones that just like to pull somebody's leg. Uh, and then you've got self-professed hoaxers like Bob Hieronymus that claimed he was the guy in the patty suit, Patterson Gimlin. Why the hell should we believe you? You're just telling us you're a hoaxer. There's no reason to believe anything you say. Where's the suit? Shut the hell up, you drunk. Go back and <laughs> hang out at the fucking local bar. And then you've got other people that steal other people's evidence and claim it's theirs and send it in. And we got a really good example of that. I'm going to use actually the the, uh, the vocal recording on my upcoming documentary, Inevitably Finding Bigfoot, because it's actually absolutely spectacular. But this was stolen from a researcher in Louisiana, and some clown claimed that he uh, recorded it in St. Louis County, Minnesota, and sent it into a Bigfoot uh, channel that didn't know any better. And they did the breakdown on it, the waveform, the whole thing. Yeah, this is absolutely a legit Bigfoot vocals, really good ones, too. Yeah, the only problem is it wasn't from Minnesota, and the clown that gave it to you didn't record it. Yeah, so what do you do about that? I mean... Well, you call them out <laughs> publicly. Helps to have a big platform with, you know, 20,000 subs or something. But doesn't it, Bob, doesn't it like, make research harder because, especially now even with, like, graphics? Yeah. Well, again, you know, like, that, the uh, the onus is on the people that are doing the show to actually do proper research and try and vet things. And nobody's going to be 100%. Somebody's going to get some kind of crap past you at some point. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be trying and doing your best to make sure what you're getting is legit. These people aren't liars. They don't have a track history of, you know, like doing arson to get an insurance settlement or, you know, lying uh, a lot or anything like that. If they're, you know, got some kind of a black mark like that in their past, maybe their word of mouth isn't very good. But even some of those people, you know, like they're maybe kind of a, you know, desperado type character and they get some kick-ass video of Bigfoot or something by accident, you could still go look at it and go, hey, pro- body proportion. That's not a guy in a suit. <laughs> I maybe wouldn't trust this guy as freaking far as I could throw him, but that's actual video. Right. Right. So, so like body-wise, yeah. like looking at the Colorado. Yeah, footage, you know, and Thicker's Bunker is one of the people that mainly got that going because he started pointing it out to people, but People like me and Blaine Tyler and a few other people were already well aware of this. And we weren't just going to point it out to the general public because we like knowing about that so we can look at a piece of video and go, well, that's fake. Gotcha, <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. Got so, so you've encountered a, a, what might be a Wendigo because you, you don't uh, know. Yeah, well, like I said, at the time, I didn't know what to call it because I knew it wasn't a Bigfoot. And now really good sources tell me it was actually a juvenile Genosqua, which is why it was only about nine feet tall. So with Genosqua, you you you've had some sort of relationship with Bigfoots in your area. Anything else? Dogman? Anything else? No, out there? I've got. Uh, apparently, there's dogmen out here because I've accidentally gotten two of them on video now in different locations, different dogmen. But not in both, both. You weren't uh, aware of it. No, not at the time. Oh, Found wow. out afterwards. Looked at the video and went, "Well, that one's about thirty feet away, watching a set up camp in the dark." That's not very cool. <laughs> That's a little creepy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they're also in areas that have uh, Bigfoot groups, tribes, uh, troops, whatever you want to call them, 
that live in the area and that are there all the time. So if they're not going to more or less comply with the local rules, they're not going to be allowed to be there. And the locals generally like us because, you know, again, they know we know and we're not scared and we leave them apples when we, <laughs> when we take off. Here's apples and peanut butter and, oh, I cooked you some bacon too. Enjoy. You know, so they're, you've got like friendly relations with them. You're never causing them trouble. Uh, another thing we do is any of those areas we camp in or anything, if somebody else leaves garbage, we clean it up. That actually irritates them. They don't like that crap. Right. And so when we're wandering around the woods randomly looking for structures or whatever, we find a 30-year-old tin can on the ground. We pick it up, throw it in our backpack, haul it away. And actually, I've had at least twice when I did that. Once I was by myself. I was walking from the ridge back down to camp, and I was about halfway down there. So probably about still a couple, uh, two, 300 yards up to the top of the ridge. And so I was about 150 yards from camp or from the top of the ridge. And I bent over, there was this old rusty can. It was an old beer can. It had been in the ground there for God knows how long, 30 years at least, you know. So I pull it out, start throwing it in my backpack. And as soon as I do that, coming from the top of the ridge, there's a wood knock. And that was the second time where I was out in the woods and I picked up a piece of garbage and as soon as I threw it in my backpack, here would knock. <laughs> like they are watching what you're doing the whole right. time you're out there. And they're like, oh, we approve, would knock. Thank you. Yeah, not, not approve. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm going to ask this question for uh, someone that I interviewed with named uh, Jeremiah Byron. He runs uh, a Bigfoot show. Um, he, uh, he, he's been looking for hyena-type cryptids. Have you heard anything about, like, hyena-type cryptids? Yeah, that's what the gugly looks like. Again, it's a giant Ice Age baboon. They look very much like a hyena. And they tend to have a big crest of hair on the back of their head, nape of their neck, and upper shoulder like a hyena does, too. And then so are they out in the area, too, Bob? Huh? Are they out by, by you by any chance? Do you hear about no, like I said, the uh, Sasquatch chased those things out of the Rocky Mountains about 150 years ago. Yeah, so that, unless that's they've, cool. unless yeah. they've reinfested somehow without getting massacred by the local Sasquatch, which would be one hell of a trick. I don't think there's any of them around here. Right. So, yeah, that question comes from uh, Jeremiah Byron from uh, Bigfoot Society. I don't know if you've been on his show, but he's no. a cool dude. Um, the last thing I want to end on, uh, Duke, you told us one story, uh, I think it was on Wes's show, uh, Sasquatch Chronicles, about this relationship between this person and this Sasquatch name. I think it was Grog or something. Can you get into that a little bit? Glag, the Glag saga. Glag, yes. Uh, Kevin Lang actually uh, met this orphan Bigfoot when he was about 15 years old, and he was out deer hunting and made friends with him and then started going out in the woods visiting him all the time for the next five years until he became old enough that he had to leave to go to college. And that was, you know, pretty much where their friendship ended. And then years later, uh, 2019, uh, he actually got a chance to come up here and go bigfooting with me. And while we were there, Glag showed up with both of his kids and his mate. And one of his kids as a, apparently a kid now, cause he had a little one crawling around on him while they were there. But even as two kids that he had with him, uh, Kevin said, are both around like 10 foot tall, so they're pretty big. And the last time Kevin saw Glag when he was a kid, Glag had gone from being 
just a little bit taller than him when they met to five years later being about nine and a half feet tall. So that was a big growth spurt. <laughs> so Kevin always kind of figured that, you know, Glag would be too much bigger than that. He was probably pretty close to done growing and stuff when they parted company. And Well, when he got to meet Glag back up here in Montana again, uh, that turned out to not be the case. And I asked Kevin, I said, well, how, how big is Glag now? And he goes, well, he got bigger, a lot bigger, a lot, lot, <laughs> lot bigger. And I'm like, Kevin, how big is he? And he's like, well, he's about two and a third of me. So about 14 feet tall, 14 and a half feet. It's oh, incredible. And the one print that he left that you could see the imprint uh, in the ground, 26 and a half inches long. So, yeah, he got really, really a lot bigger. <laughs> That's two Shaquille O'Neal's. Yeah, exactly. Only about four times as wide. <laughs> That's crazy. And so how did this whole, how did it all start? Like, Well, with Kevin, it's like I said, this was an orphan Sasquatch. He was out deer hunting. He got a deer and he didn't have enough time to bring it back home. So he stayed overnight. And while he was there overnight, the, uh, uh, the young Sasquatch was trying to get some of the meat off the deer to eat because he was starving. And so Kevin ended up giving him some of it and then made friends with him. And that's where that all started. There's actually like about 10 parts to this saga, which is why it's called a saga, because five years of ongoing interaction with him. So rather than ask me questions and waste time on that, go over to my channel. There's a whole playlist, Glag Saga. Go watch it. So, so, so as we end on that note, where else other than Bigfoot Radio could we find Duke Sullivan? Oh, you can find my uh, show on Rumble. Get over there and sign up. Odyssey and BitChute, I'm also over there. Um, I have two groups on Fascist Book. One of them is uh, Montana Bigfoot Project, which is mostly stuff for like actual field researchers who want to post the stuff that they're getting. And like Kelly Shop, Rocky Mountain Sasquatch is over there posting stuff all the time, for example. And then if you want to actually keep up on when my show comes out or what's up next, there's a smaller group over there called our World Bigfoot Central, I think, or World Bigfoot TV, one or the other. Anyway, that one just gives you, hey, uh, Duke's got a show coming out. Here's what it is. Here's when it is. Because YouTube is so good about giving everybody notices that you've got a show coming out, that we had to do that. I'm also on Twitter now, so come over and find me on Twitter. Once i got enough people over there, I'll start posting all the time, chatting with everybody. I am also on the censorship-free social media platform, which is what Facebook should be, called MeWe, M-E-W-E. No censorship. Been over there for years. Really great Bigfoot groups over there. Again, Kelly Shop, Rocking Mountain Sasquatch, one of the people that's got a group over there. So come on over and you can hang out with us on a platform where you can say whatever the hell you want. You can post pictures of whatever the hell you want. They're not going to come down on you or take your account away or anything like that. And you're also on Spaced Out Radio, right? And I'm on Spaced Out Radio every Tuesday night during the third hour, which is like midnight my time. And I'm on there again tonight. Uh, I got two the, the two latest episodes I did with them are now up on my channel. And what we're covering right now is Bigfoot sightings in Montana. And these segments are 45 minutes long. And right. I didn't bother to put up the first one from the really early days. I just put up the second and the third one. So that's an hour and a half. Well, looking at what I got still to go just on Montana sightings, 
There's going to be three more parts to this thing by the time I get through all of them. So that's like five friggin' hours of nothing but Bigfoot sightings in Montana. Okay, tell me again how there's no Bigfoot here. <laughs> we don't got to tell you, right? <laughs> yeah, I know they're here. That's part of the fun when I'm reading the reports off. I'm like, this next report comes from Hamilton. That's 40 miles from here. Blah, blah, blah. This one's from the Blackfoot River three miles that way. <laughs> and I'll be pointing that out with every report, especially the ones within 100 miles of me. Oh, that's just due north. That was 30 miles away over that way. Then I'll read the report. <laughs> so, Duke, is, is there a book in your future or documentary? Well, book, I'm not really planning on that right now. I get pestered to do that all the time. But in order to write a book, I'd have to pretty much quit doing my show. And it would be the size of an encyclopedia, so I don't know if anybody would want it. But uh, actually, as far as documentaries goes, yes, we got a challenge about a year and a half ago to quit griping about finding Bigfoot. And if we think we're so damn great, go out and do it ourselves and prove how easy it is. Yes. So we took the challenge. We went out, did it ourselves, and proved how easy it was. <laughs> and, yeah, we were successful. The only thing we didn't do that Finding Bigfoot does, you know, they get their team together and they go to some place that they've never been to and they have a town hall meeting and they get local people tell them about what they've seen and where so they get a feel for where's a good area to go and do our nighttime recon. Where you can walk around in the dark and you can't see anything, but maybe spooky noises because that works good on TV. Or we can add them in later. <clears throat> well, we decided to not do that part of it. First of all, we're actually Bigfoot researchers. There's only one Bigfoot researcher on finding Bigfoot. And that's Bobo. The rest of them were, you know, <laughs> Hollywood. Uh, <clears throat> on our team, we had five people, and all five of them are Bigfoot researchers. Uh, Four of them incredibly good, and one of them rookie that's learning. That's not the point. The point is, since we had that going for us, we figured we we already had enough momentum. We didn't need to have a town hall meeting. Rather than doing that, we would just get a hold of one person where we were going to that was a Bigfoot researcher and go, what's a decent hot spot that we can go to and maybe find something? Okay, so that was where we, we varied it a little bit from what they were doing. Instead of a whole room full of people, we're just going to call one person. Well, the one person that I called has been on my show several times, and it's probably, if not the top, one of the top researchers in the state. So, again, that gives us kind of an edge. But then I had to take that edge away because we're going to go to a state where, theoretically, there shouldn't even be any Bigfoot, Nebraska. Wow. And we were given a huge amount of time, no nighttime expeditions or anything. As a matter of fact, when we finally got there and it came right down to it, we had three hours not including travel time, to go to two different locations and see what we could find. And what were the results? Uh, lots of tracks, giant structures, drone video, a wood knock, and two Bigfoot on video. Then <laughs> later on that night where we were camping, two more of them showed up, and we got way better picture of those guys. <laughs> and so when does this documentary drop then? Well, the first part of it is almost done. I've got to complete the last two little segments of video, put it together. And then I'm sending the clip to the guy that's doing the narration for me so he can record the narration because he has voice of God. And, and the first part will be out, which will be about like a half an hour long. There's already kind of a rough version of it out that doesn't include any of the Bigfoot video. It's on my channel. It's called A Fistful of Mountain Men because the first part just shows me and my buddy taking off from Montana and driving all the way over to Nebraska to go find Bigfoot. 
And when we were there, it's like, oh, where are we going to go? Down in the river valleys? Down in the forest? Now we'll go to the capital. We'll, <laughs> we'll go to Omaha. And because uh, there's some little suburbs around it where there's little creeks that there's Bigfoot. Okay. <laughs> well, he was right. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, everybody on the team is, you know, like, oh, we got three whole hours to try and find Bigfoot. We better not waste any time. <laughs> These <laughs> these guys are like walking around photobombing each other and making stupid jokes and shit because it's like so easy for them. They already found enough evidence for a shell within the first hour. <laughs> so now now we got time to just screw around because they already got enough evidence for an hour. Right, you're good to go. Yeah. So yeah, the whole objective was just to you know make make kind of a a silly satirical version of finding Bigfoot. With a secondary goal of ridiculing them into the ground so they never come back again and stay buried because you guys suck. Let's face it, you had a huge budget. You had 10 years. How many Bigfoot did you film? I think maybe one if, if they were lucky. If even. Yeah, we had three hours in Nebraska with no budget, and we got two of them. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Expedition Bigfoot? Um, from what I hear, they're probably not going to be around very much longer. I was recently contacted by somebody from the (laughs) Discovery Channel that's already trying to recruit a new team to make a new similar show. So thinking they're probably not going to be around more in another season. Duke, I I started watching the the latest season. I don't know why I put myself through that, right? (laughs) But there's a scene in there where the, uh, the female, she's filming a body of water with something coming out of it. And it's IR, right? Uh-huh. So I think that if you were doing that, there's no way that you're going to stop using that equipment to go switch equipment to try to find it again, right? Because once you see something and you know that it's, it shouldn't be there, you, you're going to focus on it. You're going to see if it moves out of the water. Because what it looked like was something where you could see the shoulders and up, right? uh uh-huh. But for whatever reason, she had this great idea to, like, switch equipment. And when she went back to the other equipment, you couldn't see it, and it was gone. Yeah, of course, because they got the camera off it, so now it's going to hide. Yeah, if I was in that position, probably what would have happened if I would have had my team with me, I would have had one of them the camera and said, keep it on this object. And then I would have dove in and went swimming out to it. (laughs) Because there's your comparison video. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And it's it's just, I understand it's entertainment, but man, I mean, do you really think we're that dumb? Yeah. Well, I mean, why be so scaredy cat when obviously it's not really anyway? <laughs> Dude, you're awesome. I love you. I got to have you back on. Thank you for doing this. We fin- We did it. We did it. Finally. <laughs> well, I'm glad we, gladly we finally got it put together and just so everybody out there in the audience knows Chris really went the extra mile to get me on the show I did what like, I could a lot of people want me on their show and I just kind of go yeah, yeah whatever you know. Right? <laughs> and the ones that actually pester me a bunch are the ones that get me to sit down long enough to talk to them so you got to give him credit for tenacity and tenacity is one of those things that makes great Bigfoot researchers because they're too stubborn or and or dumb to give up. They keep going out there, and that's how they start finding things. So you have tenacity, for sure. 
Yeah, anybody that look, all those Bigfoot researchers that can actually get video or anything, they got crazy amounts of patience and tenacity, or they wouldn't be getting anything. <laughs> Tell like, me. Oh, it's really lousy, oh, yeah. cold, rainy weather, and no human in their right mind wants to be out in the woods. I'm going camping. What? <laughs> right, right, right. Tell Dave I said hi, okay? I certainly will. Definitely. Thanks for having me on your show. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Yes. Oh, it's fantastic. Like top ten guests, even though I don't have, you know, a lot of guests. <laughs> have like you're my thirty fifth. So. <laughs> Twinning. Well, you can always have me back again. I was just on. Uh, Blurry Creatures just had me on for their 200th episode, which I had completely forgotten. They had me on for their first episode. I was their first guest, you know. So actually, that kind of made me feel good. Well, after 200 episodes and talking to everybody else, you still want me back again? Right, Apparently, right. I said something that was worth hearing. You know? Oh, dude, you have you have you have more. I, I don't think we even obviously we haven't even tapped. You can't even go into the full Glag story with me because got so many parts to it. So like you're just a, a mountain literally of like just information and so uh just a testament to your hard work um like i said at, at almost every podcast that i'm subscribed to you're on there even if it's not like parent you know uh specifically bigfoot related it's paranormal even sort of conspiracy sort of uh, pa uh podcast i i see you on there and there's always something new i learn a lot from you and i just want to let you know i appreciate it thank you very much well, you're very welcome, and that's, you know, I ain't getting paid to do this. Uh, my channel was totally demonetized, so that's the only reason I'm doing because I want actual, legit information to go out to people so they can at least learn the basics. Bigfoot isn't the only thing in the woods. There are other things out there that are more dangerous. Bigfoot doesn't want to have interactions with us. Really, all they want from us is two things. Don't shoot at them and leave them alone. And that's one of the reasons that the, the very few humans that they're communicating with, they're sending all of them basically the same message. Let everybody know we're not monsters. Don't shoot at us. And just leave us alone. Everything will be fine. Awesome, dude. Have fun tonight. All right. I'll see you all later. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. And always remember, do not poke dog man with a stick. Don't punt the puck, woogies. And don't flip off the mountain giants. And whatever you do, do not hug the Wookiees.